0: Any securities or investment products discussed on Talking Money are not insured by the FDIC, are not a deposit or other obligation of or guaranteed by any bank, and are subject to investment risks, including possible loss of principal amount invested. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Talking Money. This is Certified Financial Planner Professional Mike Miller. So glad you're with us today. Been talking about investing and trying to get some of the basics of investing out there. And so they'll be permanently on the, the podcast and on our website so that we can have that to refer to. Or you can have that to refer to later. As always, you can go to TalkingMoneyRadio.com. And that's where you can pick up the former programs that we've got. And hopefully that'll be a big help to all of you for research and further information and educational. Because that's what we're here for. We're trying to educate. And we want to answer your questions. Send your question to Mike at TalkingMoneyRadio.com. Or go to the TalkingMoneyRadio.com website and click on Ask Mike a Question. And I'll be sure to look at that question and answer it on a a future uh, episode of... Talking Money. So last week, if you missed it, we started having some basic conversations about investments. So I gave you some tricky investment questions, just some to help give you an idea how my, how you might react in different kinds of situations. The first one had to do with what would you do if you bought an investment and just short time after you bought it, it had a for to the general market, had a correction, it went down fourteen percent. What would you do? Would you buy more of it? Would you hold on to it? Would you sell it? That kind of thing. The other question had to do with you've reached a the ten thousand dollar plateau in a game show. Would you keep going, or would you take the money and run? And I gave you several scenarios on that. We also talked about uh, the a, a common statement that we that I've heard over the years that I've been in the financial planning, wealth management business is risk is fine with me as long as I don't lose anything. Well, you know. Uh, and, 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 unfortunately that's why people look at risk is, is primarily with the volatility of the chance of losing money, as opposed to, in addition to that, you always need to be thinking of the other risks. I call them a stealth risk because the, it's a risk that you don't see. And it happens slowly over time. And that's the loss of purchasing power. And then I gave you a John Bogle quote, which had a lot packed, jam-packed, full of great information. It was just it was just a couple of sentences where he said, "Overrating past performance is the most common mistake mutual fund investors make." And I have to add to that, and it's pretty much any other investment, it would even be true with uh, with real estate, any kind of investment, because. Um, It's just the way we. a lot of us are wired. Then he says giving inadequate weight to risk, however you measure that risk, would be number two. And being willing to shift funds too quickly would be number three. And a lot of people listening buy real estate. You don't buy stocks. You don't buy bonds. And that's fine. And But I think in real estate, you'd have the same type of, of mistake being made, people trying to move things too quickly, if real estate was priced by the minute or by the second like stocks and bonds are another private credit and private equity is not priced by the minute there's there's other Uh, negative issues with that with the liquidity but your hope the hope of course is that over time you will more than make up with the lack of liquidity by a higher return and just like with uh, annuities uh, you're not going to have as high return sorry as much as they may tell you you're going to have a higher return i've never seen it and maybe it's out there but i've never seen it you're going for the safety on that so the chances of you actually losing money unless you get that money out early then you've got a guaranteed, most annuities have a guaranteed loss for the first uh, 7, eight, nine, 10 years as that surrender charge goes away. That's a guaranteed loss. So you factor that into your total return because that's just part of how the return is calculated. Another thing we talked about was what do the pros do? So we've got had different comments from different uh, investors, major investors that you've heard of that talked about um, what, uh, th- what they do And how they invest. So if you missed that, there you go. Back to TalkingMoneyRadio.com and listen to it. And then there's a magazine. So you've got Forbes, Fortunes, Kiplinger's. You've got Money Magazine. And my caution there was to make sure that if you were going to uh, buy a magazine like that because you were looking at maybe some advertisements that they sent you or something else that you saw that gave an indication that they knew what they were doing and they, they could really help you decide how to invest next, so my encouragement there was to go back several years and pull out some old copies of whatever magazine, whatever newsletter, especially some of these newsletters that get put out there from these people. And, and I would stay away from any anybody that sent you an email that has like a 45-minute narrative about why you should buy their newsletter. I mean, if it takes them 45 minutes to convince you, and they keep on saying in that in that um, interview or that that recording that okay coming up we're going to explain to you why you, we're the best thing that you why these things you shouldn't do or why we're the best things in sliced cheese whatever it is and then they keep going and going and going I've I've been subject to those and and probably the longest I've gone into it maybe twenty minutes I said this is ridiculous if it takes them that long to convince me I should be doing something with them then I'm not going to do it uh, and and they're they're trying too hard. Um, Thoughts on on forecasting. Some of the the people that talked about what uh, you know. Watch out for how much the um, the people who act like they're in the know they don't know. I I went through some industry equity return assumptions over the next ten years. We talked about that last week, and just the big question: Who do you believe? And that's why you you research and go back and and really listen and and read more than one source, and it gives you a little better. Uh, perspective on how different people are thinking, and don't read the ones that all think alike. Then we talked about the three general rules for successful investing. We started that that um, conversation. Determine your objectives. You have to evaluate your risk and diversify. and which we want to expand on, and started to expand. And we talked about your objectives. We talked a little bit about the risk, and we want to continue that conversation now, just talking about risk. So when you have, when you look at the investment spectrum, the if you got cash on one end, um, on the left side, with the lower risk and lower potential return, you got cash alternatives. So that's your CDs, that's your money market accounts, that's your treasuries, your short-term treasuries, and and really long-term treasuries now have have the lower uh, lower return on them. If, the higher, the further you go. and We'll talk about this a little later in the in the program today. The the further you go out on the duration or the maturity, the more volatility you have, the more subject your investment is to interest rate changes. And I want to explain how all that works uh and a little bit later in the program, so you got the cash, then then you move over on the on the risk spectrum, and you say a oh, fixed interest is next. So that's be your longer term CDs, your longer term Treasuries, that kind of thing, and then you have your bonds. And there's all different kinds of bonds. You have very conservative bonds, which don't pay as as much to the more uh, aggressive, um, higher yield bonds, which we used to call junk bonds. We now call higher yield bonds. It sounds so much better. Um, but there's more risk to those because you've got um, the higher return. So you have the higher return. Obviously, if somebody's willing or has to pay a higher return to borrow money, there's a higher risk there. That's the only reason they would be willing to do that is because there were higher risk. That doesn't mean you're going to lose the money. And if you spread that higher risk out amongst a lot of different uh, offerings, then you're lowering the risk because the odds are, especially if you're using a professional money management, uh, you've got a, a professional mon- uh, money manager looking at your mutual fund, or you've got an index fund that just uh, invests in the uh, broad spectrum of those kinds of bonds, you're going to reduce the risk there as well. And then, of course, on the far right, where you'd have the higher potential return, higher risk, you've got your stocks, that kind of investment. Even, But even in there there are lower risk and higher risk stocks so there's a whole uh, bunch of options in there and one of the things i i like to caution i don't like about this slide it says higher risk or lower risk and and really all it's talking about there is the volatility and the risk of potential losing your money or not making as much money or and that kind of thing as opposed to it's the the higher risk of volatility all right so you still subject yourself to even though it says lower risk that you're subjecting yourself to a higher risk of loss of purchasing power. So you haven't done away with your risk. You're, you're more subject to that stealth risk that we talked about that you can't see. But well, right now you can see it. When you see the gas prices going up like they are and food prices going up like they are, going to the restaurant, you see how that food price just flowed through down to the menu and you can see how much more things cost there. You can see that. But over time, typically, you don't see it. And and so it doesn't bother people as much. But then all of a sudden they wake up 10, 15 years later and realize, wow, I can't spend what I used to spend because my investments haven't kept up with the cost of living. All right. So we get back to the break. We're going to talk about the basics of stocks. What is a stock? What is a bond? How do they work? And and what's the advantages and disadvantages of each of them? We'll be right back after this short break. The answers to most financial questions are uncovered when you understand that there are only really five uses of money and when you know exactly how much you are spending on each of those uses. At Ronald Blue Trust, our comprehensive financial planning process helps you plan for living expenses, debt, savings, taxes, and giving. Well, let's focus on saving for retirement. Planning for retirement is much more than a magic number that answers the question most people think of retirement planning. How much is enough? You need to know the answer to that question, but other questions are important to consider as well. Questions like, how will I determine what my next chapter is? How can I use my savings and investments in a tax-efficient manner? How will inflation, investment returns, and personal decisions impact my time frame? As you approach retirement, don't look at it as an end, but rather as a beginning. We don't sell any products at Rundle Trust. We are fiduciaries whose only desire is to help clients be the best stewards they can be with the resources God has given them. Ronald Blue Trust is pleased to sponsor Talking Money because we want you to get the answers to your questions about money with no hidden agenda to sell anything. If you'd like to learn more about Ronald Blue Trust to find out if we can help you, please call 1-800-588-7526 and tell Chelsea you heard Mike Miller talking about Ronald Blue Trust on the radio. It would be my pleasure to speak with you further. Once again, our phone number at the Greenville office is 1-800-588-7526. Now let's go back to Talking Money to answer more of your questions. And we're coming up at about 20 minutes after the hour here on Talking Money. This is Mike Miller, your host for today. So glad you're with us been speaking about talking about uh, investments so last week and this week. So you can always go to TalkingMoneyRadio.com to pick up uh, the recordings after we're through on today. And many people listen to this as a podcast, which, uh, of course, is now the thing. You know, we got live radio and then we got podcasts. So we've got, a, I think, a good combination where we can do both of those things. So talking about different types of investments, anywhere from, from uh, the cash equivalents like money market accounts, checking accounts, those kind of things, all the way to stocks and the different levels of risk of volatility in in those investments. So just to give you some basic background, because I'm not going to assume that people really understand the difference between even a stock and a bond. So what is a stock? So if if we look at how a stock gets established, so a company decides, even if we take it from just a local, not not a major company, let's just say it's a local uh, company, somebody wants to start off, and there's several people involved in starting this business, and they put their money into the business. They say, okay, we're each going to put in 50000 or we're each going to put in 100000 or a million, whatever it is, and in return for that, we want shares of stock. So it shows my ownership. That stock shows my ownership in that particular company. And so as the company grows, um, the value of the stock goes up because the, the, the company is making more money. If it does not do well and the company starts losing money or just not making as much money, well, of course, that stock, nobody's going to want to buy that, same, that stock for the same price You paid for it, even though you paid essentially par value for it because it's not making any money. Maybe it's losing money and so forth. So they want to be careful with that. But as it makes money, it it does well. And then if you ever want to sell it, then you can sell it because you're, you're a part owner of that company. So make it on a broader scale. And we say, okay, when somebody wants to go public, so this is not a privately held company like I was just explaining, but we want to go public. So if we're going to go public, that means we have to go through a lot of jump through a lot of hoops. With the SEC and trying to get um, the all the proper uh, paperwork done, all the proper disclosures and so forth, because we're going to put out an an IPO, an initial public offering. So in that initial public offering, and usually it's handled by investment bankers, and they may they may. Uh, divide the uh, potential number of shares that are about to be sold to various different uh, brokerage houses. Usually, it's the major uh, wire houses that they go to. And people say, "Okay, I want to. I want to be one of the first ones to buy into the stock." It's not always the best thing to do. Uh, I should have looked at this, but I think in many cases, the initial IPO price is it's ten dollars a share, fifteen, whatever the investment bankers think it would sell the best at then that, that's what the price goes out and people buy into it. Well, oftentimes that price goes down. When, it, when it, you buy it initially, it goes on the market and, and people, well, I'm not as excited about that as I thought it was. Or it goes up initially and then drops back down. Or it, it goes up and then it keeps going up as the company does well. Or even the, the thought that that company may do well that the, the stock can go up in anticipation of what the prices and this happens often with stock investments that goes up in anticipation of what people think it's going is gonna happen with the profits of that company six months a year five years from now and they're pricing that into that stock price already so you're an owner of the company that's all that is so now it's a public company so you own it with a lot of other people So I asked the question in the workshops when I teach this, and I did also as I was teaching at Morgan Corporation this last week, is how much of your money, so when you are investing in a stock, so you're going to invest to the NASDAQ, to the New York Stock Exchange, how much of your money does the company get when you buy shares following the initial public offering? Well, the answer is zero because you're buying your stock from somebody else. So, uh, I know some people that, especially if they want to go to social responsible investing or the Christian worldview investing, uh, it's, it's a great concept. It's, but when you've got to realize that when you're buying stock from somebody else, you're, you're, none of your money is going to that company. Now, you may reap a reward from that and don't want to reap a reward from that because of the type of product that that company sells. Uh, or the dividends that come from that company. So, but I just want to make sure you're clear that when you, unless you're investing in the initial public offering or a subsequent public offering where they uh, issue some additional shares, you're not getting. You're not. None of your money is going to the company. It's going to somebody else, and it's an auction. So that's why that price changes so much. And we've seen that happen, especially uh, this year to date, is you see the the wide swings in the price going up and down because it's based on an auction. It's not necessarily based on what a um a company is actually valued at. So the price changes, but not necessarily the value. And and that's important to remember when you're looking at investments in, in stocks, is that stocks are are identified as either a value stock or as a growth stock. And there's different criteria for each of those. But typically the value stocks are going to be the lower price to earnings. They're, they're priced at a a better um Price to the what the value is than a growth stock. So a growth stock could be anywhere from a price to earnings ratio of, let's say, you know, 30 up to, you know, I've seen two, 300 price per earnings. You know, so that multiple is so high. It's the, the, the odds that that company's ever going to go make enough money to make up for that and ever get to a reasonable price earnings ratio is pretty low. The price is just going to come down eventually, which happened in the tech bubble back in the late uh, 90s. When the tech bubble burst, that's what was happening. You had a lot of these companies that were being priced way, way higher than what they were worth. And then once the tech bubble burst, the things started to really drop fast, and you got back to some normal multiples. But people sometimes will look at stocks as gambling, and you can use it as gambling. But if you're investing it like you're an owner... I'm not investing to make a quick buck, but I'm investing in that company because I, I, I think this company has good potential, long-term uh, profit uh, gains that that I can benefit from. Then no, you're just you're just own, you're just owner of the company, as opposed to a loaner which you would be as a bondholder. So keep that in mind. Stocks, yes, they're they're higher volatility, but that's where you get the the most risk and you really are the most potential gain. So you you really want to have times you don't gonna enjoy it, but you want to have times when the stock actually goes down in price. If if stocks only went up in price, then you you wouldn't have the same potential return as you do with with they are now, where they have that opportunity for downward volatility. When you have that downward downward volatility, it makes them riskier, and so you, you want to have the reward. So the, the less the risk, so you get to the fixed income, you get to the cash equivalents, there's virtually no risk of volatility there, but there's virtually no risk of, of gain either. So that's where a good combination of the two is very important. All right, so bonds. So what's a bond? As opposed to a stock, you're actually investing in the debt of a government or a corporation. So the government being the U.S. Treasuries and the corporation being any number of corporations, whether it's General Electric, IBM, or some smaller companies, Amazon or something, that wants to, they typically say, all right, I want to expand my company. We want our board. We want to expand our company. But we don't really have the resources to do that from our current profits. So what we want to do, instead of adding new owners, which we would do if we added additional stock, we want to take out loans. Well, they don't want to go to the bank. The bank either may not be able to give them that much money or the cost of what it might be at the bank uh, versus what it would be on the bonds and the long-term nature of a a bond contract as opposed to a uh, loan that you might have from the bank so they put out a, an open market to say okay we are gonna let whomever wants to whoever can afford to to buy our bonds they might be ten thousand increments, increments maybe a hundred thousand increments whatever they are there you you buy that bond and, and essentially all you're doing is saying i in return for my money the cor- corporation says we agree to pay you x amount of interest for x number of years if you hold that bond to maturity and if the company stays in business, then you, or if it went out of business, you're in line before the stockholders. So that makes it a safer investment for a liquidation standpoint after the after the lawyers and taxes, then you got the bonds and then you got the stockholders if there's anything left. But from, if, as long as that company stays in business, then whenever it matures, then you're going to have, you're going to get your money back the higher risk it is or the higher risk that the company may not be able to make their interest payments then the higher that interest is going to be which is kind of odd isn't it is that the the more risky i am the less i can afford it the more i have to pay and that has to do with individuals as well which really is a good reminder for people to make sure that you maintain good credit if you maintain good credit, you'll pay less for all the loans that you want. But you got to make sure you pay them back. So that's all you're doing. You're sending your money to the company. The company's saying, "I'm going to pay interest payments to you. At the end of five years, ten years, whatever that term is, then I will give you your money back." So we get back for the break. We're going to talk about what effect. Interest rate changes have you buy a bond for 4% interest rates go to 5. You buy a bond for 4% interest rates go to 3. What happens to the the price of your investment in that bond during that time period? We'll get back after this short break. Most of you have heard the saying, it's not what you earn but what you keep. With all of the tax laws and legislative changes, how do you successfully navigate the complex, always changing and mostly confusing tax system? More importantly, how do you best take advantage of these changing laws in order to improve your financial stewardship and accomplish your goals? Unlike tax preparation, tax planning is a year-round process and should be an important part of your financial plan. It's wise to consider tax reduction efforts in light of your overall goals. At Ronald Blue Trust, our tax planning process includes things like short and long term tax projections, understanding tax consequences of financial and life decisions, estimating marginal and effective tax rates to, among other things, avoid that dreaded tax bracket creep. Coordinate with your tax preparer and looking for tax savings opportunities through income shifting, deferring income, deduction planning, and other timing strategies. For more information about our Greenville team and the credentials and experience of each of them, go to ronblue.com forward slash Greenville, Sherry White, Jeremy Weaver, Scott Clark, and Eddie Holland are the team leaders with a supporting team of certified financial planner professionals working right alongside of them. Feel free to contact any of them directly or give me a call at 1-800-588-7526 and I'll be happy to discuss your situation with you. The phone number again is 1-800-588-7526 or go to ronblue.com forward slash Greenville. Let's return now to Talking Money. Yes, and welcome back to Talking Money. You're listening to Mike Miller. This is Talking Money, which means we want to talk about money. We want to hear your questions. Send an email directly to me at mike at talkingmoneyradio.com. So we want to make sure you are informed and get an objective answer to whatever question you have. There's no question too stupid, no question... uh, Uh, too difficult if i don't know the answer i will find the answer i've got an array of resources in our firm as well as the local professionals that we can speak with to get uh, the right kind of answer that you need so we're talking about different kinds of investments last week and this week and probably we'll we'll continue this conversation even some uh, next week we talk about the different risk levels of different types of investments i just spent the right before the break talking about stocks the different uh, how's a stock work and the basics of a bond And one of the things that, uh, people I think are not as, um, aware of is how a bond price can change via interest rate changes. So, uh, as my, my one example would be to say, all right, you, you buy a bond, you pay $10,000 for a bond and you pay 3%, you, you get a, um, 3% yield for that bond. So if interest rates then and yours is like say a 10-year bond. So in 10 years you're going to get your your $10,000 back. So if interest rates during that 10-year time period go from 3% to 2%, well that makes your bond worth more because somebody would like to buy your bond and and pay and earn 3% versus buying a new bond that's only paying 2%. So they're willing to pay you, and you should be wanting to get a premium for that bond. You don't want to pay, sell that to them for what you paid for it because then you're going to have to turn around and invest your money at the lower rate. So instead, you have a 3% bond that's now going to be worth more. So uh, typically, and the, the chart I have is using 6% as the as a paying interest, but the concept is the same. So if a, a bond, the value of a bond, when interest rates rise one percent, if it's a five-year bond, so it has a five-year maturity, that bond's going to go from a thousand dollars to nine hundred fifty-nine dollars. If it's if interest rates go go uh, up, if interest rates go down, like my example in a five-year bond, it's going to go from a thousand to a thousand forty-three, and that assumes you have five years left in the bond. So the the closer you are to maturity, the less. Uh, um, change there is in the current bond price because it's going to affect a shorter period of time based uh, and it gets close to maturity so in this case if i have a bond that goes up um, to 1043 and it's a five year there's five years left in the bond i know i'm going to lose that 43 dollars over the next five years all right so because I, when it goes to maturity it's going to mature at a thousand dollars not at 1043 so the decision you have to make the decision money managers have to make is do i go ahead and sell the bond now and do i think interest rates may change enough and that they may go back up in the next five years to where i can buy back in and buy at a, a better interest rate than what i'm selling it for that's the the game that's being played all the time so if interest rates go down, then you're going to have your bond selling for a premium, depending on how much longer is left until that bond matures. If the bond goes, if bond goes up, if prices go up, interest rates go up, which they're more likely to do now since they've been down so far. And what's happened the last year as interest rates have gone up, that's what's happened to the price of bonds. They've gone back down. Now, in a bond fund, they typically eventually catch up because they're continually buying more bonds at the higher rate. And, and you might have one year where you actually lose some uh, uh, price in that bond, even lose some value in that bond. But then the next year, it, it starts to come back. So it's, it's rare that they have a, uh, more than two one or two years in a row where they, they actually go down. But you still get your dividend through that whole thing. So if you were not looking at your statements and didn't see the, the price changing and you kept getting the same dividend, as far as you knew... The price stayed the same. The price did not change. So the value, of the when a interest rates rise one percent, that same five year bond went from a thousand dollars to nine hundred fifty nine dollars. So if you want to get out of that bond because yours is paying three percent and new rates are four percent, or in this case six percent versus seven percent, if you do that, then you've got to take a loss to get it. So you got to decide. Okay, since I got to sell my bond for lower than it's worth. But then I gonna rebuy at a higher rate while well, I more than make up for that. But typically, the bond market prices those kind of movements in for you so that they um, the the uh, price changes are already there. So uh, that's how interest rates and bonds uh, affect each other. And something I did not mention in the in the uh, stock portion that I think is a, a good illustration. So some years ago, um, Dr. Rook and I were on the phone with a money manager of a firm that we were. Uh, looking at uh, adding to our portfolios we've done a lot of the the research on the number side but we always like to talk to the money managers themselves who's the one pulling the trigger who's the one in charge of this of this particular investment and so we were asking different questions and and dr rook always has a bunch of questions to ask the these money managers but one of the questions is what what is it that you have in place what kind of procedures you have in place if the stock if that company starts to go down if your stock prices start to go down what uh, what um, procedures do you have in place to help limit the downside or how do you control that and so this money manager when i asked her that question she her next question back to me was and it's a question of I, I don't think i'll ever forget is do you mean if the if the if the price goes down if it goes down because of a uh, price change or because of value change all right so if the stock just goes down in price but the value of the company did not change that's just the auction working where people are saying i'm going to pay this or not pay that for a particular stock and and typically what happens then is over time that price goes back up to meet the value so the, in in 08 do you think all the, the when the S&P 500 goes down 40 45% do you really think all the companies in that in, in the S&P 500 went down 40%? Their their value went down 40%? No, they didn't. Just the panicking part of the market made it go down that far. The companies are still worth what they're worth and, and probably worth more. So that's where we felt it was a great opportunity, and you should too when things like that happen, is this a great time to to buy into the market, not to panic and sell out of the market. We've had people do that. I, I still remember one client that called me up and on uh, march the 6th of 2009 a certain conversation you, you just remember in 2006 and he uh, he was um he and his brother we handled their pension plan and they were thinking about uh we said we just want to sit on the sidelines uh things have been so crazy remember in march by march things have been going crazy since the previous really september so it's been a long time that we've had a lot of ups and downs more downs and ups so it's just a scary time so it was it was normal to think like wow let's just not do this anymore and so i said no you really you don't really want to do that because then when you get out in, on the sidelines and i'm gonna to have to tell you when i think you ought to get back in and I don't think you ought to get out because of, especially where the price was now. I don't think you ought to get out because I think this is a good time to stay in or even buy more, uh, which we had done for client accounts back earlier in, in that year. And so, uh, and, and, Consider it lucky. I don't consider us that smart. We just you're just going by the. You're not trying to market time. You're saying, well, we just feel like it's a better discount now than it was before. It may go down more, but we know we're getting things at a good price, and we feel like a year or two from now it'll recoup and and we'll be fine. Which indeed it happened. So when um, this particular client came in a few months later for review, um, then and the stocks had already started going back up. So by the end of 2009, stocks had made like a 30. 30% Thirty uh, percent rebound, and, uh, and so it, you you made up. You didn't make up for all the loss in that two thousand eight Great Recession, but you you made a good stab at it. And over a couple of years, we did manage to get things back. But you know, you just never know what's going to happen. That's why good diversification is important when you're trying to decide how to invest your money, because we don't know what's going to happen. So uh, when we get back from uh, from the break, so we're going to talk some about some of the. Um, asset class uh, performance so i've got a chart in front of me uh is is um the, the returns that different asset classes have made so we're, we're looking at u.s large cap stocks international developed stocks emerging market stocks gold uh, bonds commodities and uh, just what is inflation has done but i'm going to pick a few of those over the last 15 years and say okay which really has has done the best is there any one asset class that pretty much performs at the top the whole time that we say "Wow, well, we ought to buy all those is there one it, it's always at the bottom we see ought, ought to avoid those and I, I know you can already tell where i'm going with this there is there's no one investment that stays at the top or at the bottom and which is why when you have a good diversified portfolio there's almost always something in that portfolio that you don't like something that's not doing well but as soon as you move from the one you don't like to the one you like is when the one you didn't like starts to do well and the other one starts to do poorly so that's it just seems the way it has worked over the years that i've been in this business so we get back to the break we'll talk about that we'll be right back virtually every financial services firm talks about financial and investment planning based on your goals At Ronald Blue Trust, we can help you define your goals, we'll do that from your personal cash flow, to your income tax, to your state and investments, to help ensure that your decisions really do reflect your values. We incorporate biblical principles into our comprehensive financial planning approach. Our goal is to help you clarify your decision-making and focus on leaving a legacy of financial, social, and spiritual capital. And whether we realize it or not, the decisions we make in life reflect our values and our priorities. Decisions we make today can have lifetime implications. There are rarely independent decisions. A comprehensive financial plan includes things like planning for short-term cash needs, long-term retirement, proactively minimizing debt, continually evaluating the tax consequences of your decisions, funding your child's or grandchild's education, and determining your insurance needs. No financial plan, however, is worth doing unless you actually implement your plan. Our process takes you directly from goal setting to the implementation. I think, we think, there's a good chance your financial stress level will improve when you understand how all of the components of your financial life integrate with each other and how to adjust over time. So we can guide you through a detailed plan towards sound financial decisions, wise stewardship, and a roadmap to your desired destination, a life well spent. For more information, go to ronblue.com forward slash Greenville, or call 1-800-588-7526. Once again, the number is one 800 Five eight eight seven five two six. 7526 now back to more of talking money we've got about 11 and a half minutes here left in talking money karen had a question that just said something about the uh putin and the russia and so forth i didn't quite uh sure what the question was but i would encourage you to go back is it's very very helpful um, back a few weeks ago, I interviewed Mark Elam, our senior investment strategist uh, down at um, in our national office. And one of the things we talked about during that program was the Russia and the invasion and how that affects what what should you do and that kind of thing. So I encourage you to go back to TalkingMoneyRadio.com and, and, and go to Listen Now. And when you go to the Listen Now button, then you can... Uh, go to uh, other programs that we've we've recorded that are listed there and you can search by topic if you want to but this one just a few weeks ago so it'll show up on the first or second page and just click on that and listen to it as a podcast and however you listen to podcast and uh, you'll be good to go so a lot of great information there as well Uh, so we've been talking about investments and getting some of the basics of investments down last week and this week and talking about um, uh, stocks versus bonds and so forth, and before the break i was talking about the major asset class uh, performance so we've got this chart that shows uh, different uh, classes and i mentioned them before uh, the break so the ones then there's a lot of different ways to track this this particular one just tracks us large cap which would be growth and value stocks international developed stocks emerging markets gold bonds commodities which is just general commodity index and inflation and some of these, by the way, these slide decks, some of these that I have, if you want a particular, if you want to copy some of these slide decks, I think you can go on the RonBlue.com website and pull these up. This is as of 12-31-21, and so they'll, they'll get updated each quarter as, as more reports come out. But this comes from our ISG group down in Atlanta, um, but it's... Um, approve for general distribution so some of these i can send right out to you if you want to send your email uh, to or just send an email and then of course have your email address to the mic at talkingmoneyradio.com and just say you want uh, the powerpoint presentation or if you want a particular slide that i talked about then we can uh, just email that to you and you can have it to your heart's content uh, but this one looks at those particular items and what's interesting about this chart, I think it's one of the best educational charts that you can look at because it helps keep you in perspective on when to invest in something and when not to invest in something. So if I go back to 2008, the list of investments, bonds, you know, that's, that was not a good year for stocks. You remember the Great Recession? But bonds, the bond index was up 5.2%. Gold was up 3.9%. Inflation was essentially zero that year. Commodities were down 35.6%, the commodity index. U.S. large cap stocks were down 37%. And in total, of course, a lot of these things went down more because they. when you take the first couple months of 2009, then they, they went down uh, even more than this. But this is for the calendar year 2008. International developed stocks were down 43. Emerging markets were down 53. So the natural inclination, I think, is to look at that and say all three of those, large cap, uh, international developed and emerging markets So this is this is crazy why am i investing in that i'm just going to get out because i can't take it anymore all right all right so what happens if you did that so the next year 2009 remember emerging markets was down 53.2 percent in 2008 in 2009 it was back up 79 percent, which probably didn't quite make up for the 53.2 but boy it sure did make a good stab at it and if you if you just bailed out you lost all that Uh, And you you never have a chance to get that back, not in that rate, because it's going to be uh, a different year and different performance after that. The second best performing in 2009 was international developed stocks, which was the second worst the year before. And then commodities were next. And then U.S. large cap stocks were up 15 percent for the year. Uh, and if you took certain stocks that were up even more than when I mentioned 30%, I mean, stocks were up, uh, a good bit, a different index than that, uh, was certainly up higher than that. And I remember our portfolios did really well. The stock part did really well that, that year, but that was, goes back a long time ago. You know, what have you done for me lately? So it's, it's just a good reminder, like just because something's down now, if it's a good investment, you got to be thinking, well, should I really be investing more in that? As hard as that is, because I know it's very hard to do that. When you, It's easy to look back at a chart like this and say, oh, okay, I'll do that, because you can see what it did the next year. But when you're in the middle of it, it doesn't feel that way, and it doesn't feel like it's a good thing to do. So fast forward to 2018, which is not uh, the most recent year when stocks really did not perform well. Uh, so you had um, – International developed stocks were down 13.4, emerging stocks were down 14, and large US large cap stocks were only down 4.4%. Over well, the next year in 2019, US large caps came roaring back after 5.4 they were up 31 and a half, international developed stocks were up 22 and emerging markets were up 18.9. So you see that volatility in there. So that, and that's the risk I think that is in different types of stocks is that risk of volatility. And, and the feeling that, and, and this is natural to do, that when stocks are going down, we tend to think that it's going to keep doing whatever it's been doing lately. So we feel like it's going to keep on going down. That's just human nature, I think. The same thing happens in reverse. And when people start getting greedy, stocks have been going up, going up, going up. We think that's what's going to keep doing, going up. Well, it's not going to do either one of them consistently or permanently. They're stocks. They're going to go up and down based on an auction that we have called the stock market and, and i hear people talking all the time about it's a casino or it's a you know it's just a, a gamble and i don't I, I don't see it that way at all as i explained before the break stock you're an owner of a company and and that price is going to go up and down based on prices so unless you think that uh, you're going to stop buying toiletries you're going to stop paying for electricity you're going to stop buying gas you're going to stop buying cars unless you're going to stop buying everything well these companies are still there making those products for you to buy and that's what you're buying. You're you're buying uh, your owner of a company that produces the products that you use every day. And you're going to keep using those products every day. Now that stock may go up and down in price, but it's still you own it. And so the returns are going to be different in every decade and so forth. It's going to be different. But it's it just I I just need to warn you to be so careful about how to uh, win and and how to not panic when things start to go down and if you expect it I think it's a greater chance that it's not going to um, affect you as much. And I'm going to talk some more, and it may be not till next week. I'm sure it won't be not till next week, where where you can have time-based solutions and where you put your even if it's only mentally, it doesn't have to be in separate accounts, but you you put your your money in separate buckets. You've got a a short-term bucket, intermediate-term bucket, a long-term bucket. So the stocks are in the long-term bucket, which you don't anticipate needing for over five years, probably eight to 10 years or longer. And you may never need it. And the money that you need sooner is in buckets that that don't go up and down so much. So we're going to talk about that in more detail later. So another chart that I have here looks at uh, market timing. And market timing is very, very difficult to do. And on these charts, when you see, if you, if, there again, if you want a particular chart, just uh, send me an email and I'll send it to you. So um, this particular one says, you know, market timing is tempting, but, but uh, more times than not. And I would even go further than that. I said, oh, it's never going to work. I mean, it, it may work. You may have some certain time periods where you ended up being uh, uh, making the right call. I still remember back in '87 when uh this and i can't remember her name some economist she was a a economist with one of the major wirehouses, and she had predicted that the market was gonna gonna go down like it did in october of 87 this goes back to october of 87 not not the uh, tech bubble burst in october 87 she was she predicted it and then when when it came about for the next five years, she was the one that was quoted like all the time. People were looking to her to say, "Hey, what's going to happen? What's going to happen next? What's going to happen next?" Well, I think she she missed virtually every other call for the next five years. It's like she got lucky and got that one right, and so now she was the guru. Um, but and and to me, the gurus you want to listen to are the ones that are uh, are dosed with a, a bunch of reality and will be willing to tell you, "I don't really know. This is my best guess." diversify because you never know what's going to happen well this particular chart shows net equity fund flows and market returns so net equity fund flows means people are investing in equity funds how much money is going into equity funds the net of going in and going out and then it shows the market returns so they're rolling one year uh, numbers so it shows very clearly that when stocks are going up as the that uh, the the, the uh, net fund flows are going down, when the market is going down, the in, the net fund flows are are leaving. So it's just amazing how uh, this is general numbers. I know there are people that don't do that every time, but there are plenty of people who do. It's and so it's it's you've got to be looking. You have to have a financial plan. You have to stick to your plan. I think the best the portfolio design for you is the one that you will stick with and if you'll stick with it even when things go down like this then uh you're you'll be better off i think than most people as i've told talking money listeners for years now the 16th year of doing this is that if you're the kind that's going to buy into the stock market or some other kind of investment but stocks are the most the most common and the easiest to get and out of quickly If you're the kind that's going to invest and you go along and it goes up, goes up, maybe goes down a little bit, that doesn't bother you. But then when it goes down precipitously, whatever that number is for you, it goes down 10, 15, 20 percent. And then you're going to bail after it's down 20 percent. Then I think you're better off not buying into it to begin with. Just don't go there because you'll probably be worse off because the the time you sell is going to wipe out all the gains plus some and then you won't get back in when things go back up and maybe you won't get back in until things go up for a longer period of time which means you're getting closer to when you have the next downturn and so that's where it's it i think it it pays to be well diversified over longer periods of times and not be uh, fooling with the market inflows and outflows and all those kind of things so it's just uh It's an interesting world we live in and interesting uh, human nature that we have. Uh, So if you want to get in touch with me at the office, 800-588-7526. If you want to meet with some of our team members, we'd love to to talk with you and see if uh, we can be a benefit uh, to you. Mike at TalkingMoneyRadio.com is our email if you want to send me an email. Hope you have a great week. We'll talk to you next week for some more investment uh, management advice. Have a great week.